Well, we're now just a few days away from Election Day. On Tuesday, November 8th, Americans from around the country will go to their local polling places and cast their votes. The real battle royale, of course, this being a general election, is the presidential race. But the undercards are just as important, and there's a lot of them. In 2012, political scientist Jennifer Lawless found there to be more than 500,000 elected officials in the United States. And among those, somewhere on the ballot amidst the races for senator, representative, judge, city council, sheriff, railroad commissioner, you can find the county clerk. That's the person who makes sure elections work right in the first place. In the November issue of Popular Mechanics, our chief political correspondent and friend of the podcast, Mark Warren, talked to one of his old friends, Dana Beauvoir, who is the county clerk of Travis County, Texas. At the time, he was writing about online voting, but we thought that for today's show, with Election Day so close, it was a nice opportunity to invite Dana in to talk about what it means to run an election. In a campaign cycle where there's been hacking, leaks, and rampant talk of a rigged election, Mark asks Dana about the security of our system. We hope you enjoy the episode and come away from it feeling good about the efficacy of our democracy, and then that you go out and cast your vote. I'm Kevin Dupsick, and this is How Your World Works. Good morning, Dana. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, my pleasure. You know, it's too bad there isn't anything interesting going on for us to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like really quiet. <laughs> um, I uh, have with me Dana DeBovois, the county clerk of Travis County, Texas. So Dana, you're, you're a county clerk. You were elected in 1986 um, and have served continuously since then. What is the job of county clerk? Well, county clerk does um, a lot of different jobs, and, and this is true in, in a lot of states where the county clerk is really regarded as a jill of all trades. Uh, the job has um, processing of marriage licenses, uh, keeps the deed registry, serves as the clerk of the court, uh, and also conducts um, uh, elections for, in my case, I'm under contract with all of the cities and schools in Travis County to do elections for them as well as the, the big ones, the, the federal and state ones. And then I also have some other jobs like um, I keep track of cattle brands. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's, that's, that's fa- you know, we don't have that in New York, I don't that. think. I know it. You probably don't. <laughs> well, it's five days until Election Day. Yes. <laughs> um, what, what, is, what are you and your team doing right now uh, to make sure that this election goes as smoothly as possible? Okay. All right. Well, first thing we're doing right now is we're, we're, we're talking to a lot of our media partners to make sure we get the word out as much as possible about where all of the places are uh, to vote so that we don't have some locations more heavily used than others. Um, we're concerned about lines, so we want to get information out there about, you know, every place people can go vote. The second thing is is that we want to get information out to our voters about what um, constitutes electioneering. Um, You know, even though you're wearing a T-shirt that doesn't have a candidate name on it, if you're wearing the traditional Trump hat or the nasty woman T-shirt, that is electioneering. You can't wear it into the polling place. And so in light of what's happening in in Texas, we're trying to get the word out about what is and is not electioneering. So we don't have a big fuss in the -hmm, the polling mm -hmm. place on Election Day. we are trying to educate our voters about a new process we are a new uh, 
um, application we have that's helpful for voters to figure out whether there's a long line, a medium line, or a short line. We have a, a red, yellow, green application that lets voters determine where they want to go vote at a particular location, um, depending on how long the line is. So it helps them pick a place where they don't have to wait in line. One of the things that we're concerned about is having voters voting after 7 p.m. It is legal to have uh, voters who were standing in line at 7 when the polls closed go ahead and finish voting. But if we have folks who are voting an hour or even two hours after the polls close, that delays our ability to be able to count that ballot box right. and mm-hmm. deliver election mm-hmm. results. And we want everybody to realize that while while you may feel really proud of yourself for being in that line to vote at the last minute, recognize that there are other consequences from that behavior. What are you, are there horror stories that I mean? You've been doing this for now for thirty years. Um, are there? Have you ever come to a worst case scenario on election day? Well, this is our biggest turnout ever. Make no mistake, this will break all the records in all the books. 2016. Uh, And in 2008, that was our previous high-water mark, we did have people voting for one to two hours in in a few locations around our county after the polls closed. And, you know, that's hard on people. We don't want to have them to stand and wait that long. So the idea is let's make sure they know what all the resources are available to them so that they can make informed choices. So uh, are you, did you just, just say that the, um, the early vote is record turnout so far? Oh, yes, absolutely. The, it, it's breaking records every day. And this is not just uh, Travis County, my county. A- almost everywhere in Texas and I think around the United States, we're breaking records. Is there any way for you to know um, what percentage of your county and of Texas will have voted by Election Day? Oh, yes. We keep daily records on that. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to see somewhere in the neighborhood of a 60, you know, 4 to 66 percent turnout for Travis County. Before Election Day. uh, Well, that's what we don't know. Oh, I see. Uh, At some point, the... I am hoping well more than half of our voters vote, uh, mm-hmm. of that 66% turnout, that well more than half of our voters turn out before Election Day. I see. Mm-hmm. Because if we have very many more than 175,000 people turn up on Election Day, it will create a lot of pressure on our polling places. Um, what will Tuesday look like for you? What, I mean, oh, you personally, it, Dana DeBevoy, what will it look like? <laughs> yeah. Oh, personally? Yeah, personally. Oh, the day, yeah, the day usually starts, the alarm goes off at, <laughs> at 4, we're at the office at 5, the media the, um, uh, availability usually starts about 5 o'clock in the morning, um, you know, get, telling people, get up, get out, get, you know, go vote early, you know, get this over with <laughs> before the lines start piling up. Um, and then it's usually all day long explaining to voters, you know, what the laws are, what the rules are, and where can you go vote. We will answer that question a lot of times on Election Day. And then at the end of the night, we'll begin counting votes. We'll release early voting results right at 7 p.m. And then just depending on how the the resolution of 7 p.m. goes at the Election Day polling places, we will start tallying Election Day boxes and release those results. Usually we can get to those around 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. And we usually finish up, it depends, um, we usually finish up with results around the 10 p.m. broadcast. This election we might not be able to finish up so early because we do think we'll have some uh, vote centers reporting in later because they're going to be still voting people at 7 o'clock. Now you have something to compare this to, but 
can you just describe, well, I, 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 will, I will assume that technology, evolving technologies, have made voting easier. I'll assume. Uh, correct me if okay. I'm wrong. Okay, no, um, I think that's fair. And, and if so, how? How has it made voting easier and better? Well, you know, one of the good things about electronic voting is that it is, it's um, fast to vote and fast to tally. It's also very accurate to vote and very accurate to tally. And it also has lots of benefits um, to offer people with disabilities, um, expanded font sizes and um, uh, earphones so that the ballot can be read to you, lots of benefits. Um, and I, I, while I realize there are criticisms of it, we need to make the best use of the good things that it brings to elections. Dana, there was a, a meme circulating on the Internet last week um, about uh, a case in Texas of electronic voting that purported to show someone voting one way and it registering another. Um, yeah. Now, it was on the Internet, so it must have been true. So, it must have um, been true. <laughs> so did you see that? And uh, No. But but we hear this almost every election, and we've heard it for 20 years. And I, I, every time I've seen that kind of error replicated, it was always a situation where a voter was just going a little too quickly, and it was caught at the at the summary screen mm-hmm. when the voter realized that the summary screen was showing something different than what they wanted or what they thought they had pressed, and so they went back. Um, changed it and corrected it to what they wanted and then hit their, their cast ballot button. Um, and then somehow the story always gets changed to be, instead of a story about how the system worked to show somebody that there was an error, it ended up being, it ended up being the story about it being flipped. Um, I, I, I have never run into a situation where the system you know, didn't work the way it was supposed to work. I, I have always found that electronic voting does work properly. Um, we use a, a specific kind of system here um, that I am, am confident in, so I'm not speaking for all of them. Um, just what I would advise voters is take advantage of the summary screen, take advantage of the good things that electronic voting brings with it, and make all of your choices just as deliberately as you would on a paper ballot. Don't treat it any differently. Uh, Voter registration is connected to the Internet, is it not? Yes, it is. So are the voter rolls themselves vulnerable to, to hacking and interference? Well, yes, they are, unless, as most states do, um, they place extra controls and mitigators on their voter registration systems to protect them. Most of the uh, individual records are encrypted, uh, and there are all kinds of security measures that are taken to protect voter registration roles. Nevertheless, it is possible to get in and, and have shenanigans done to our voter registration roles. Let's take a look at that, though. Even if a hacker were able to successfully penetrate all the security measures and get into a voter registration role, there are so many multiple copies of the role from the statewide level down to counties, cities, and localities that it would be difficult to replicate the damage all the way down in a timely manner that would actually affect a voter in the polling place at the time they were trying to vote. That's highly unlikely. So even if you were to affect the the database for voter registration, it's very unlikely that it would actually impact a voter who's trying to vote. There are all sorts of fail-safes and laws in place to protect the voter. 
I, I just wanted to talk, ask you, Dana, about all of the talk we hear, the rather loose talk about rigged elections. It's coming from some fairly high levels, uh, a nominee maybe of one of the parties. Um, does that make you crazy? It, that is deeply concerning um, because it isn't just that, you know, the differences between fact and fiction. The, the fiction is, um, you know, that, that we can be hacked, and that is not a, uh, a reality statement uh, coming from the reality star. Um, but what's concerning about it is that it doesn't take any special talent or skill um, to say that you've hacked an election. In fact, the words are the hack itself. And in, in, in sta making those statements, you've already planted in people's minds um, the damage. that You've already caused harm to the election by hurting uh, public confidence in the outcome of the election. So it's, it's a cheap shot because it doesn't really cost anything to harm public confidence. I mean, what, what I think one of the things, at least, that he's talking about is in-person fraud. What is the incidence of in-person fraud? Oh, it's, um, it, it, basically it doesn't exist. It exists in people's minds. Um, it is so rare, I haven't seen it in 30 years. Not, uh, not one instance of it in 30 years. No, not a single instance of voter impersonation in 30 years. Now, you'd think I would run across at least one. There's a very famous study that's out, and I apologize for not being able to uh, quote the authors. Um, out of 4 billion votes cast, I think they were able to find a handful of allegations, and in all of those allegations, they were not able to find one substantiated case of voter impersonation. It just doesn't happen. There have actually been two in this election cycle in early voting, both Republicans, both voting for Donald Trump, both convinced that the election was rigged, and both voting twice um, and arrested for doing so at Trump's insistence. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, then there you have it. There's the proof that how rare it is and that if you did try to do it, you would get caught. Yeah. You know, when, when we um, last talked for um, the November issue of Popular Mechanics, the narrow question that I was asking you then was about online voting. And there's a feature in the magazine called Stupid or Amazing. <laughs> and, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we wanted to consult the expert uh, to figure out whether online voting was stupid or amazing. And, oh, well. and we decided that it was stupid because, as you explained, and I, like, I want you to talk about this in a minute, that the Internet is just is far too vulnerable still. Yeah, We need Internet 2.0 in order to make voting uh, safe for the Internet. Um, now, the actual voting systems that voters use today are not connected to the Internet, so we have no problems or, or risks with that kind of Internet hack, the kind of Internet hack that you saw um, with the DNC and with other places that are connected. Mm -hmm. There's your proof to voters that if we were to have a voting system that was connected, it is, it is absolutely inevitable that it would be attacked. Why is it too vulnerable? Why do we need the Internet 2.0? Uh, well, the, because there's no security built into our current structure. It was never intended to be a secure connection for purposes of something as 
critical as voting. It was just a communications tool. One of the things you hear all the time is that, oh, well, if I can bank online, then why can't I vote online? And one of the things that I would would recommend to those folks is what makes you think banking has such a high standard that we would apply it to elections? There are millions of um, dollars each year written off in losses for banks. Um, that are, you know, it's a normal transaction and a normal loss for their industry. But in elections, there's no such thing as a one-penny reconciliation. Mm. You you said something to me when we spoke before that um, your business, the integrity, the sanctity of the vote, might well be the only business that insists upon 100% accuracy 100% of the time. Yes, that is that's absolutely true. There there are no mistakes allowed in elections, and and if there are mistakes, then they are very publicly aired uh, and discussed and proven, so that we don't make it a second time. We we have been facing an unprecedented and now um, um, kind of uncomfortably well documented attempt by uh, a foreign power um, to play. You know, to to make mischief at least in in our electoral process, or at least if not our electoral process, at least in our election, uh, in, in the conduct of the campaign, um, um, in a in an asymmetrical way. It's been they've been doing it just to benefit one side. Um, that that there've been um, uh, hackers and hack attacks um, on our internet systems here, um, stealing. Uh, large volumes of documents and releasing them uh, via WikiLeaks. Has, how has that affected your community, community of election administrators, uh, Dana, or has it? And, and if so, if it has, what have you, have you put into place any extra protections? Have you been looking for um, uh, vulnerabilities, perhaps in a way that you haven't before? I think that's a very good question. Um, those of us in the community, uh, elections administrators, are deeply concerned. In fact, some of us are, are worried about this, uh, you know, potential outside actors affecting the election. It, it's, it's worrisome, and the, the point that I'm trying to make right now is I don't think any of us have an answer. We're all still trying to figure it out. Um, once we get past the November election, there will be a group of us that gather in conference and try to figure out what should we do about this for the future. And I'm afraid that the answer may be individually as elections administrators, I don't know that there is anything we can do about it, and that's even more concerning. So. You know, we're going to stay tuned for more information as well. We need to get advice about the best actions to take in our localities. Would this be, would you, would you say that um, this might be a, a larger problem, a federal issue perhaps, and in that, in that voter security is national security? Absolutely. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think part of the advice that we're going to seek is from the um, uh, Elections Assistance Commission, which is a, a national group that helps local elections administrators. Okay, great. Uh, I want to talk about one other thing that we've, um, well, several other things actually, but one thing in particular that, because uh, I was asking you to, uh, in our prior conversation, to tell me about worst case scenarios um, and, and to, so I can perhaps understand some of the, the fear out there and as well as some of the fear mongering. Um, and so once you dispelled the notion and gave us the good news about um, the strength of the system and uh, the, the uh, no need to worry about uh, hacking because our systems are 
um, uh, self-contained and not, not connected to the internet. You said, well, one thing that people talk about and worry about are inside jobs. Um, yes, that's true. And there are a great many uh, people kind of uh, on the left, conspiracists on the left, who are still convinced that the election in Ohio in 2004 was stolen um, and, and it was facilitated by an uh, election machine manufacturer by the name of Diebold, which was uh, a donor to the Bush campaign. Um, what, what do you think about those? Do you hear about those? Do you have to process those, those conspiracy theories? And well, what do you make of those? Well, I'm right. Um, it is, <clears throat> I, I think the best way to deal with what, um, what turns out to be a really open-ended question is to look at evidence-based elections and to be prepared every time you conduct an election to do post-election audits. No matter what the changing dynamics are for every election, the changing strategies of bad actors, every election needs to have its review after the fact. And I think what happens is, is that if elections administrators uh, and, and local uh, officials take the view that, that their local elections are open to anybody who wants to watch it, and then you, if you conduct post-election audits after the fact, then I think that it reveals any of the um, vulnerabilities that you may have in your own operations. It deals with those insider issues locally within the community so that you can uh, create your own safeguards locally to protect against that. That is your first and best defense against insider issues. Um, so, and that, so that just means elections administrators leading the charge on locally getting everybody to come together and watch what's going on together. Um, that's, that's your best protection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there are reports out this morning uh, in, from Nevada this morning uh, about um, some reports of voter intimidation on, on, during early yeah. voting. Um, do you hear these reports? And have you ever experienced such a thing there locally? Yes, we have never had a, a really critical kind of incident or incidences, but it is something I do worry about, and it is something that we see occasionally in, in paler forms uh, in our, uh, our voting um, locations. It usually involves someone um, doing some form of electioneering. They're wearing a T-shirt or a cap, or mm -hmm. they're talking too loudly in the parking lot. That's usually what starts it, and then somebody else tries to shout them down or tell them to go away. That's typically the trigger. So what we want to do is tell people that you know any voting location, early voting or election day, is intended to be a safe haven. It's a place where you can go to cast your vote without any of the campaigning, the advertising, any of that stuff affecting you. You get to turn it off for those few minutes that you go, stand in line, and then make your choice on the ballot. We try to get everybody to have a little respect for the polling places, and that's the one place where you don't campaign. I think these reports have more to do with poll watching, uh, as has been encouraged by, yes. um, yeah. by the Republican nominee. Uh, he right. was referring in a speech uh, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks or so ago, um, to spots in Philadelphia, in, in Pennsylvania, rather, um, saying certain areas, and you know what happens. He was intimating darkly certain areas, encouraging people to poll watch. And I think that the, the, um, the which would ha could have the effect of um, intimidating and thus dissuading someone from voting who 
has a rightful uh, claim to vote. Um, what would you do um, and what can you do to make sure that that kind of voter intimidation doesn't happen in Travis County? Texas has a very good law that says that poll watchers can't directly challenge a voter when they're in the polling place. Um, that's illegal in Texas. So there's none of this direct confrontation. Poll watchers in Texas can be a very good addition to the polling place because they can talk directly to the election judge whose job it is to run the polling place on Election Day, uh, ask questions, point out any procedures that they think maybe not or maybe are not being um, conducted correctly or ask questions about a procedure and work right in the polling place right at that moment to see that they can get everything resolved and make notes mm -hmm. for the future to talk about any questions they might have. But you don't interfere directly with the person voting. I think those are protections that Texas has that are not available to those voters in Pennsylvania. Different states have different rules, and it's important mm -hmm. to understand the rules. You know, everybody needs to get really clear about whether a poll watcher can directly go up to a voter or not. You know, I just really think that that's probably the, where we draw the line. No direct confrontation is probably the best policy. Right. And, and that would be inside or outside of a Or of a outside. Place. Right. Which, yes. is, which is where they're more likely to happen, I think. Dana DeBevoix, County Clerk, Travis County, Texas. Dana, thank you so much. You're quite welcome. It was wonderful Thank talking you. to you. Oh, yeah, and you too. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it. And don't forget to vote. <laughs> and that's our show. Higher Old Works is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics editor-in-chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And also, don't forget to check out our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. And if you want to read more about elections, check out our website, popularmechanics.com podcasts. While you're there, don't forget that you can subscribe to the print and digital editions of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsick. Thanks for listening. Get out and vote on Tuesday. <laughs>